0: good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out. So happy you could be with us, whether you're online or here in person, for the continuation of our teaching series called Christ the King, where we're studying the wonderful gospel according to Matthew. I know Summer just said it, but I can't help but reiterate it. Hopefully last week you got to save the date Next Sunday, Vision Sunday, make sure you're tuned in online, make sure you're here. I cannot wait to share some very exciting news with you about the future of our church as well as share with you how you can play a key part in that future. It's going to be great, Uh, but again, that's next week, so today, let's get to what we're doing today. Our text today is Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 25. And in this particular section of scripture, Jesus, having warned his disciples, or having told his disciples to go ahead and work in the harvest fields, he now warns them of what's coming ahead. And Jesus tells them of what's ahead. He says, Troubles ahead. And friends, that's our theme today: Troubles ahead. Now, have you ever noticed how when you're driving, so much of the traffic signage tells you about what's coming down the road? Have you noticed that? I know for me, I drove up through Vermont a couple weeks ago. Uh, This was not my Grafton trip that I told you about last week. This was another one where I went even further north. And uh, it was just amazing to see the plethora of signs all warning me of what is coming down the road. For example, I was warned of a dangerous curve ahead. I was warned of a hidden driveway ahead. And yes, I got out of my car for every one of these signs I'm about to show you. I was warned of a school ahead. They're going to put up a new sign saying idiot ahead, the guy taking the camera on the side of the road, but anyway. I was warned of a bus stop ahead and not to slam into it. I was warned of falling rocks ahead. I was warned of a steep downhill slope ahead. I was warned of a pedestrian crossing ahead. Being in Vermont, I was warned of a tractor crossing ahead. I was warned of a bear crossing ahead, I was warned of a horse crossing ahead, and finally I was warned of a train crossing ahead. And on and on the list goes. I actually got out of my car to take picture of lots more signs, but for time's sake, I couldn't fit them all in the sermon, so some got caught. But on and on and on the list goes. Anytime there was even a remote hint of danger up ahead, they put up a sign to give me and everyone else on the road a warning. Now, I mention that today because in our text, Jesus is going to give his 12 apostles and by extension, you and me, a similar warning. A little recap of the last few weeks, Jesus is preparing to send out his disciples into the various uh, villages and cities uh, throughout Galilee, but before they are sent, he gives them this warning of troubles ahead. Three weeks ago, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to pray about the harvest. Pray for all the lost people. Pray, pray, pray. Now, two weeks ago, last week, Jesus told his disciples, now that you've prayed about the harvest, now I want you to go do something about it. So get to work and be a laborer in God's harvest fields. That was last week. And now today in Matthew 10 verses 16 to 25, Jesus tells his disciples, now, as you head out into the labor fields, I don't want you to think that it's going to be easy. Let me warn you plainly, there's going to be troubles ahead. All right, let's dive into verses 16 to 25. And right up front today, I'll give you a high-level overview. Number one, Jesus is going to tell us what to expect when we labor in his harvest fields. Number two, he's going to tell us how to behave. And then finally, number three, he's going to let us know why it's all worth it. Now that you have the overview, let's jump right in. Jesus begins with what to expect. And here's what Jesus tells them right out of the gate. In the first part of verse 16, he says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Here, Jesus is giving them a word picture for how they're going to feel some of the time when they go out into God's harvest fields, working to reap reap a harvest of souls for God. He says, sometimes you're going to feel like a sheep among wolves. Now, friends, how many of you understand that when sheep are among wolves, they are in a hostile environment? And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. Jesus wishes that everyone would gladly receive their message and welcome the good news of the kingdom and, you know, believe on him as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. But Jesus lets them know right off the bat that is not what's always going to happen. Some people are not going to appreciate your message. Some people are not going to want to hear your message. Some people are going to be offended uh, when they're told that they need to repent of sin and and ask for forgiveness. And and you're going to be treated with hostility. How many of you have ever tried to share your faith and been treated with hostility? You know, it doesn't always go over well. We wish that it did, uh, but that's not the case. Well, Jesus lets them know up front, you are going to feel at times like sheep among wolves. You're going to receive uh, implacable hostility from some people. Now, Jesus, wanting to further prepare his disciples, doesn't just give them the high-level overview, you're going to be mistreated, people are going to treat you with hostility. Now he gets into the specific groups of people who will treat them this way. Number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus tells them, you can expect hostility from your fellow Jews so from the Jews. And we see this in verse 17, where Jesus says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Now, friends, when we read of synagogues, we're dealing with the Jews. The Jews were under Roman occupation. Let's remember that. But even though the Jews were under Roman occupation, Rome would always let the Jews go ahead and handle their own affairs, except when it came to issues dealing with capital punishment. That's why when the Jews wanted to put Jesus to death, they had to go ask the Roman governor named Pilate for permission uh, to put him to death because they did not hold the power of capital punishment. But other than issues uh, where capital punishment uh, would be invoked, the Jews were allowed to handle their own affairs. So the Jews, they had their own courts. And court would be held for the Jews in their synagogues. And when someone broke the law and had to be punished, the Jews would usually uh, give corporal punishment. What would happen is they would flog uh, the offender with the appropriate number of lashes uh, in accordance with the crime. And this was in keeping with God's uh, law laid down in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 1 to 3. Suppose two people take a dispute to court and the judges declare that one is right and the other is wrong. If the person in the wrong is sentenced to be flogged, the judge must command him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of lashes appropriate to the crime. But never give more than 40 lashes for more than 40 lashes would publicly humiliate your neighbor. So friends, this is what the Jews would do when someone broke the law. They would bring them in their court, which were held in their synagogues, and they would dispense the appropriate number of lashes. One judge would call out the sentence, one would announce the punishment, one would do the flogging, and others of them would count the lashes. And the Jews were very careful not to go above 40 because in executing judgment on a lawbreaker, they didn't wanna break God's law themselves. And so they would only actually go up to 39 to protect themselves, in case someone miscounted. After the time of Christ, the Apostle Paul said this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So this was them being careful not to break God's law by going over 40. Well, all this to say, Jesus lets his apostles know, remember, apostles means sent ones. Jesus was sending them out to the villages and cities throughout the region of Galilee. And Jesus just lets his sent ones know right up front that it's a possibility. It's not a guarantee. This is not necessarily going to happen to every single one of you, you know, but there are times where you're going to be treated with hostility among the Jews in the form of being brought in their courts and sentenced to flogging. And Jesus doesn't want them to be blindsided by the kind of treatment that they're going to receive when they work as laborers in God's harvest field. So number one, Jesus says, expect hostility from the Jews. But secondly, Jesus told them that they should also expect not just hostility from the Jews. Secondly, they should also expect hostility from the Romans. And this is in verse 18 where Jesus says, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Now, when Rome would go conquer a territory, if the king in that area was willing to be subservient to Rome, sometimes they would let the king that was already ruling that region stay in place. As long as they submitted ultimately to the rule and governance of Rome. But when they would conquer a territory and the king wasn't subservient to Rome's rule. Well, they would just decimate that area and they would appoint a Roman governor. So when Jesus says you'll be dragged before governors and kings, he's talking about being brought before the courts of Rome. So Jesus is letting them know you're not only going to Uh, find yourself in the courts of the Jews, you're also at times going to find yourself in the courts of the Romans. Now the Jews could flog you, but Jesus is kind of up in the game now saying, and the Romans, they do have capital. They do have powers of capital punishment and they could even put you to death. And friends, this by the way, is exactly what happened to Jesus. He started in the courts of the Jews on the night of his arrest. Where was he brought? He was brought to Caiaphas, the high priest of the Jews, and he sat before the court of of the synagogue. And then after that, he was turned over to Pilate, the Roman governor, and now court was being held uh, before the Romans. And the Romans, having the power to put someone to death, uh, ordered Jesus to be uh, crucified. Now, why would the Roman government persecute Christians in the first place is a question the observant reader uh, wants answered. And friends, it's simple. The followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, the Christians, which means little Christs, they were going around constantly talking about a king who would rule over a mighty kingdom. And so naturally, the Romans would come to view Christians as insurrectionists and revolutionaries. It wasn't that every single one of uh, Jesus' followers would experience going to court before the Romans. It's not that this would always happen, but Jesus wanted to let him know, not only when you labor as workers in my harvest fields, not only could you be put in court before the Jews and suffer flogging, you could even uh, go to court before the Romans where you could be sentenced to death. And I just want to let you know up front what you're getting into before I even send you out. Number three, Jesus says, you can also expect hostility from the members of your own family. Not just from the Jews, not just from the Romans, but even from the members of your own family. Uh, We have so many people uh, at our church here at New Day that have uh, come to New Day and and, and, uh, given their life to the Lord uh, out of a Catholic background. And I can't tell you how many times people have told me, oh yeah, when I shared with my Catholic family that I was now going to a Christian church, they were asking me about what cult I had joined and, you know, they just did not go along easily. They did not go along easily. And friends, this is what happens. Sometimes even the members of our own family aren't really supportive of our decision to follow Jesus. So this is what he gets into next in verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus says, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. So here's the scenario, and by the way, this played out exactly uh, up to about 300 AD or so. Uh, Here was the the situation Jesus was speaking to, because he knew it was going to come, and so he talked about it in advance. The situation was this, Rome viewed Christians as revolutionaries and as insurrectionists who were always talking about um, this this Messiah, Savior, King named Jesus of Nazareth who would rule uh, over a mighty kingdom. He was the king of kings. And so Rome came to view Christians, Christ followers, as insurrectionists and revolutionaries. And that being the case, they gave the order that Christians were public enemy number one and needed to be collected and executed. Now, when this order went out, sometimes it would be that the members of one's own family would turn them over to Rome to be executed. And here's why. They didn't want to be executed themselves, being found guilty by association. So friends, do you see what Jesus is doing? He is letting them know up front about the hostile hostile treatment that they uh, could expect in certain times to receive at the hands of the Jews, at the hands of the Romans, and at the hands of their own family members. Now Jesus in the uh, first part of verse 22 sums up everything he's been trying to say. He says, you will be hated by all for my namesake. Now, back in verse 13, Jesus told them plainly that some people will receive you and your message. So the word all here doesn't mean you'll be hated by every single person you encounter. No, it means you'll be hated in all spheres of life, in the sphere of the Jews, in the sphere of the Romans, and even in the sphere of your own family. And now in verses 24 and 25, Jesus lets his disciples know why they can expect such treatment. Let me read it to you. Jesus says, "...a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub," another name for Satan, "...how much more will they malign those of his household?" Friends, simply put, Jesus is saying um, it's not really the standard practice for uh, someone to treat a disciple better than his teacher, nor is it standard practice for a slave to be treated better than his master, nor can the members of a household expect to be treated with more honor than the head of a household. And in the same way, Jesus' followers cannot expect better treatment than Jesus himself. If they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute Jesus' followers. And friends, unfortunately, what was true of the 12 is also true of us. Let me make some parallels to everything I've just talked about. The first parallel I'll make is this. We too are sent ones. I mean, take a look at Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So if he says go, that means we are sent. And that makes us sent ones just like the apostles. So just as the 12 were sent, so are we. And as we minister in God's harvest fields, laboring to reap a harvest of souls for God, we too will be persecuted at times. Not in every instance, but at times. Now, you and I, thank God, live in a different day and a different age, so we won't stand trial in Jewish or Roman courts. And since we live in a country where currently we enjoy religious freedom, we don't have to sweat our family members turning us over to the government to be put to death. But like the 12... You and I also minister in hostile environments. And friends, us living right here in New England, like that's especially true of us. As we're going to hear about next week, we don't live in the Bible Belt. All right, we live in the armpit of the... Okay, anyway, (laughs) I'll save that for next week. We don't live in the Bible Belt. We live in an area where the harvest is great and the workers are few. And so there's extra hostility here Uh, where we live, but we too are sent out week after week as sheep among wolves. And that at times, unfortunately, is sometimes how we will feel. Because there's people in this world, there's people in this region, there's people at our jobs working to silence our Christian voice. There's those working to remove any trace of Christianity from society or from culture. There's those whose work it is to mischaracterize Christians in popular TV shows and movies. And there's those whose work it is to pass anti-Christian legislation to where it's becoming almost illegal just to hold Christian views. Now, that's the bad news, and I hate sharing bad news, so let me go ahead and quickly follow it up with some good news. The good news is this. Jesus tells us how to minister in such a hostile environment, and that's what we're going to get into next. Number one, Jesus told us what to expect. Now, number two, Jesus is going to teach us how to behave. Now, his goal in teaching us how to behave is not so that we can eliminate persecution from our lives. That's not possible. As the Apostle Paul says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But with that said, there are ways in which we can behave that will minimize the persecution and that will prevent unnecessary persecution. So Jesus here in teaching us next how to behave, he's teaching us how to minimize persecution and how to maximize our effectiveness in a world that's hostile to Christ as we labor in the harvest fields, trying to reap a harvest of souls for God. So let's now get into how Jesus says we ought to behave. First, he says that his sent ones, Need to be wise as serpents. Friends, in the time of Jesus, serpents were known for their wisdom, hence the imperative be wise as serpents. Now, in the context of us sharing our faith, when Jesus says to be wise, he's talking about knowing the right thing to say and the right thing to do in any situation. He's talking about being wise, knowing what's appropriate and inappropriate uh, when you're sharing your faith at work, knowing what's appropriate and inappropriate when you're sharing your faith with your family or your friends. Friends, we have to be wise. This is what the apostle Paul teaches in Colossians chapter four, verse five. This is Paul reiterating the teaching of Jesus in his own words, but it's the same thing. Paul says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. So friends, when we're witnessing, we have to pray that God would fill us with wisdom. And we have to prayerfully consider what our approach would be. I'm always amazed when I go fishing. Typically, I don't catch much. But someone, you know, 25 feet that way is just pulling them up, putting them in the cooler, pulling them up, putting them in the cooler, Well, guess how each of our days began? Me sleeping in, this person thinking through how to catch fish. (laughs) Guess what the person, guess who's more successful of the two, you know? This guy, you know? This gal, whoever thought about it, whoever strategized about it, whoever thought of the right approach and then executed the plan, that's the one who's going to be more successful. And so it is when we share our faith. So friends, don't don't, don't wing it, you know? Don't be the king of wing, you know? Go ahead and ask God for wisdom. And when you do, uh, take comfort in this promise found in James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So number one, you wanna minimize uh, persecution. You wanna maximize your effectiveness. Then be as wise as a serpent. Secondly, Jesus says, don't just be wise as a serpent. Second, be innocent as a dove. Just as snakes were known for their wisdom, doves were known for their purity. So Jesus here is speaking of a pure life, an upright life, a holy life that gives critics of the Christian faith no ammunition with which to attack and no excuse with which to reject the Christian message. Just the other day, someone shot me a text or told it to me, I can't remember which, but they were saying, hey, you got to go on Hulu and check out this new documentary about Jerry Falwell Jr., a very prominent uh, Christian uh, man. And the whole documentary was about how he was living a hypocritical uh, life, all the while he was leading a Christian ministry and all this kind of stuff. Now, I don't bring that up to kick someone while they're down. I bring it up to say this. There are many critics of the Christian faith who now watch that documentary, and they go, you know what? Thank you. You've given me ammunition with which to attack the Christian faith. And thank you for that documentary. You have given me an excuse not to accept Jesus myself. And many similar documentaries, unfortunately, have been coming up. Not too long ago, there was one on Hillsong, and it did the same thing. Gave people ammunition with which to attack, gave them an excuse to personally reject Jesus. So friends, it's very important that we don't just go out into the labor fields to harvest on God's behalf. It's very important that as we do, our life commends our message. As the Apostle Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. We can silence the critics by living a holy life, a life that commends the message that we share. Number three, Jesus says, don't just be wise as a snake and innocent as a dove. Number three, be bold as lions. Be bold, Jesus says. In the latter part of verse 18, Jesus tells his disciples, when you stand trial before the Romans, when you're there in court, I want you to give testimony about me. Now we can just read that and gloss right over it and not really appreciate its significance if we're not careful. But friends, if they were brought before the Romans, they were brought before the Romans as insurrectionists and as revolutionaries who would very likely be put to death So they're wanting to go to court to be like, no, 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 I'm not an insurrectionist. And Jesus says, I want you to tell them about King me while you're there. Jesus says, in essence, court is for giving testimony. So while you're in court, go ahead and give testimony about me, King Jesus. So friends, what Jesus is speaking to here is this this boldness, this temerity, this chutzpah that we need to be Jesus's followers. It takes boldness. And that's our part, just to be, to be bold and to speak out, knowing that there could be negative repercussions, knowing that we could be rejected, knowing we could lose our job, knowing we could, we, we know there's repercussions. We know there's, you know, your friends could make fun of you. You know your classmates could, you know, ostracize you. But knowing that, Jesus says, go ahead and be bold anyway. Number four, Jesus says, as you're bold and as you boldly share the good news, number four, be anxious for nothing. So the original instruction was this, but I think there's a uh, principle we can pull from it. The original situation was this. uh, The Jews were handed over to the Romans by members of their own family, and now they're standing trial in a Roman court where if they're found guilty, they would be put to death. And without, um, you know, gratuitously explaining the details of what the Romans would do, let me just say this. It wasn't a quick and easy death. Uh, They would be tortured and be put to death in the most horrific ways. And Jesus knows that as they're going through such a harrowing event, that the emotions are going to take over and that they're going to get jumbled in their thinking and, and, and get so nervous about what to say. And so Jesus says to them, don't be anxious about what you're going to say. You can trust your heavenly father to give you the words so that you can be there and speak clearly and make sense with what you're going to say and give testimony about me. Now, friends, I think there's a, a principle there. Though that was a specific situation Jesus was speaking to uh, for the apostles, uh, again, I think we too can trust Jesus to help give us the words as we share our faith. Now, this doesn't give us an excuse not to study apologetics. It doesn't give us an excuse to not think through uh, a defense for our faith. It doesn't give us uh, an excuse to just like, oh, well, I'm not going to prepare in any way, shape, or form, and I'll just trust God. No, no, that's being lazy. We do our part to have an answer and be prepared to give in a defense for what we believe. But but when the nervousness of it takes over, When maybe you, like me, for those of you who are teens, are in your classroom and the biology teacher is asking a question and I raise my hand to speak up about Jesus and share that I don't believe the garbage she's shoving down my throat, you know, it's like I can trust God to help me give a polite and gentle and respectful but Christ-centered response to what's being said. You don't have to worry about being so nervous. God will be with you in that moment. So number four, be anxious for nothing. You have nothing to worry about. God will help you out. You do your part. You be bold and God will do his part. He'll help you with the words. Number five, number five, not only are Jesus' sent ones to be anxious for nothing, they're also to be determined to endure. Jesus tells his apostles in verse 22, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, when we share our faith and we experience hostility in its manifold forms, the temptation is to either abandon the faith yourself or keep the faith, but to abandon sharing your faith with others. When we're met with hostility, it causes us to do this. And I'm going to be tight-lipped about Jesus. I'm not sharing them with anyone. I'm not saying anything. I didn't like the way that felt when I shared with a friend, when I shared with a colleague. I didn't like the way I was ostracized. I didn't like the way I was mocked. I didn't like the hostile treatment. I didn't like being excluded from stuff after I opened my mouth about Jesus. So I'm just going to do this and I'm never going to open my mouth again. But Jesus says this, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So we have to endure the persecution, refusing to give up. We don't want to give up our own faith, nor do we want to give up sharing our faith with others because we are called to endure. We're to be determined to endure. I'm so thankful when my wife was in labor, she didn't give up. She endured the pain for the prize of a precious new life. And friends, this is the same reason why we endure the pain of persecution. It's for the prize of helping people to find new life in Christ. When you share your faith, some are going to reject you and persecute you, but others will gladly receive your message. They'll receive Jesus and they'll become laborers in the harvest field along with you. But if someone mistreats you and makes you feel weird for sharing your faith and you stop sharing your faith, then you rob all the people who are uh, eager to hear the message that you have to share from coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So friends, we have to endure. Amen? Amen. All right, then number six. Jesus says this, be ready to move on. Don't just be determined to endure. Sometimes you got to be ready to move on. Now, friends, let me just say a quick little thing on this. This is why it's so good to just study the Bible verse by verse, section by section. As I was studying this, I realized I have never heard this preached on ever. And I grew up in church like for, I was born and put in a pew and I grew up my whole life, went to a Christian Bible college, you know, been in ministry, you know, for a long time now, never heard this preached on ever. But this is what happens when you just kind of take it one verse at a time. You're forced to come across stuff that usually people don't cover. All I've ever heard my whole life is never give up. And Jesus says the opposite here in verse 23. Jesus says, when they persecute you in one time, in one town, flee to the next. In other words, they're implacably hostile to the gospel. Well, then move on and go talk to someone else who might not be implacable, hostile to the gospel. Don't just stick around telling someone who's just refusing, refusing, rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. Number one, it's just stupid, like you're going to open yourself up to unnecessary persecution and possibly open yourself up to being put to death. You say, Mike, but if I stop when I'm threatened with mockery or persecution or death, doesn't that make me a coward? Well, I hope not, because then the apostle Paul's a coward. What did he do in town after town after town? He would go. He would share his faith. People would get hostile, and he would stick around. He'd get stoned sometimes. He'd get flogged sometimes. Uh, but when it came to the point of like, all right, we're going to put you to death, he would just hightail it on to the next town. He's like, all right, I have, I have witnessed. I have done my thing. I have shared my faith. Um, but what good is it for me to be dead? Because then I can't share Jesus with more people. So he would just, he would just move on. And friends, this is so hard to say like from the pulpit because we're Christians and I'm a pastor and whatever, but like sometimes you're sharing that faith with that family member, with that friend, with that whatever. Sometimes you got to get to the place where you just go ahead and commit them to prayer. So you never give up on them but sometimes you gotta move on and you just gotta pray for them and hope whatever because there's other people who will be open to your message. And if you just spend all your time trying to share it with someone who just rejects it, rejects it, rejects it, rejects it, now you're robbing others who would be open to it from hearing the good news about Jesus. Just so you know, I'm not a heretic. Let me bring you back to Matthew chapter seven, verse six, where Jesus says, in essence, when you find yourself unwelcome, as you're sharing your faith, telling people about Jesus, when you find yourself unwelcome, you should not keep wasting your time throwing the pearls of your message of the kingdom of God before the unresponsive pigs and dogs of the town which refused them. Hey, Jesus' words, not mine, okay? <laughs> Jesus' words, not mine. But he says, move on. Stop casting your pearls before swine, Let me recap because we covered a lot. Number one, Jesus said, here's what to expect. Secondly, and we just covered this, Jesus says, here's how to behave in a way that can minimize the persecution, not eliminate it, but minimize it and then maximize your effectiveness as you labor in the harvest fields trying to reap a harvest of souls for God. Thirdly, and finally, Jesus tells us why it's all worth it. And isn't it great that he hasn't left this part out? Because you're like, oh, great, sign up to be a Christian, be persecuted, maybe be put to death. Yay. You know, (laughs) this is like, uh, no, thank you. You know, that's what we all want to say. No, thanks, Jesus. I'll, you know, give me this good stuff, but on this, I'm going to pass, you know. So Jesus understands this. He understands human nature because he created us. And so he doesn't leave this section without pointing out why it's all worth it despite being treated with such hostility. Jesus says this in the latter part of verse 22, the one who endures to the end, say it out loud with me, will be saved. And that's why it's all worth it. Friends, the way of Jesus isn't easy, right? Right? But it's the only way to be saved from the penalty that God's law demands for sin, which is death. It's the only way. The way of Jesus isn't easy, but Jesus lets us know up front that it does come with its rewards. He lets us know what's coming ahead. He said, Trouble's ahead. But he says, But here's why it's worth going through that trouble. Because you know what's also ahead? Eternal life's ahead. You can live as a citizen in my kingdom for all eternity. And that's why it's worth it. As Jesus put it back in Matthew 5, take a look. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Let's say it out loud. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me pause right there. He says, because you're going to go to heaven. It's not that you earn it by being persecuted, but your willingness to be persecuted shows that you are a person of faith. And when you're a person of faith, God saves your soul, forgives your sin, makes heaven your home. Verse 11, let me keep reading. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When that happens, rejoice and be glad. Let's say it out loud. For your reward is great in heaven. So first he promises heaven. And now in verse 12, he promises great reward in heaven. It's like, wow, heaven was enough, but Jesus goes beyond that. He says, not only will you get heaven, you will be rewarded greatly for everything you were persecuted for here on earth. Oh, it's hard to be bold, but when you are in the face of a hostile crowd, you'll be rewarded for that. Oh, when others persecute you, you're going to be tempted to just shut your mouth and never talk to anyone about Jesus again. But don't do that, because when you open your mouth, even though you could once again face mockery or uh, ostracism or whatever the case might be, you will be rewarded. And he doesn't just say, for you will have reward in heaven. It says, for your reward is great in heaven. So friends, it's totally worth it as hard as it is, it's totally worth it. So as we minister as sheep among wolves in a world that's hostile to Christ and and people reject us, let's remember Jesus told us troubles ahead. Just like the road signage. Hey, there's deer that cross the road up here. I want you to watch out for them so that you don't hit one and get injured. I don't want you to be bewildered when a train crosses the tracks up here. I, I've told you through this road sign, train is coming ahead." So so you can, you can watch out for it. You can expect it. You cannot be surprised by it. And that's the same thing Jesus has told us today. It's coming. But friends, just because it's coming doesn't mean we can't minimize the persecution, and it doesn't mean we can't maximize our effectiveness. We can. Because Jesus has taught us how to behave. So friends, let's ask God for his help that we would be wise as serpents and innocent as doves and bold as lions and everything else that we've covered today. This is how we're called by Jesus to behave as we labor in God's harvest fields, as we work to reap a great harvest of souls for God. So let's close in prayer, asking God to help us to do just that. Would you join me in prayer? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes and in your heart, maybe you'd say something along these lines to God. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us a heads up concerning what's ahead when we step out to share our faith in a world that's hostile to Jesus. Help us to not be intimidated into silence, but stay strong in our witness for Christ. Thank you for equipping us to be successful in this daunting task of laboring in your harvest fields. We pray for your help today. Help us to take the wise approach and may our life always enhance and not detract from our message. And help us to be bold, trusting you for the words when we open our mouth to share about your son, Jesus. And despite what persecution may come, may you give us the grace to never abandon the faith personally or abandon sharing our faith with others because there's so many people out there that need to hear the good news of the kingdom. And God, lastly, help us to know when to keep sharing and when to move on. God, I thank you that the Holy Spirit indwells me and will help me to know when to keep sharing and when to move on. God, thank you for hearing my prayer. I trust your help is on the way. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.